Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of the Hockey Podcast. This is your host, RB Baines, and thank you for tuning in. We'll be talking all fantasy and any hockey-related discussions on a weekly basis. Normally, I'll have different guests on, but today I'll be running it solo. Let's discuss how to create or improve your fantasy hockey league with these tips I've learned over the past 13 years running my own league. First question you have to ask yourself, what are you trying to build here? Are you just having a league where you could quietly plug and play players and sit back and just enjoy watching the games? Or are you trying to create a competitive atmosphere? If you're leaning on having an interactive league, here are some ways to do so. An active WhatsApp group really gets people to pay attention to hockey-related conversations and random discussions. Over time, this will help make a bunch of misfits into a family of some sort. A lot of people in my league have become really good friends without even seeing each other. For me, having people engaged is the highest priority. Winning, of course, is important, but it's only fun when it matters to everyone. As a commissioner, it is also your job to break the ice with new people. Have a rookie be comfortable around these strangers. Veteran GMs look at rookies like vultures, so protect them, maybe by having some kind of rookie no-trade rule for the first four to six weeks so they could understand the rules better. If everybody feels comfortable, then your job here is done. Notice the people who don't interact much. Reach out to them separately and see what you can do to get them back on board. If after one year you are still seeing no progress, then it might be time for you to replace them or else it could become contagious. One turns into two and then into three. And next thing you know, even the most competitive people stop caring. This will definitely kill your league. So just watch out for this. So now let's move on to the type of leagues you are building. Is this something more of a keeper's league? Or do you want a league that has a fresh start every year? I'll be honest, I don't have much experience with keeper's league, but it's definitely fun if you have 10 to 14 GMs who are committed each and every year. When there is turnover on a yearly basis, it may hurt the value of the league. But if you are leaning towards the Keeper's League, then let's talk about the rules you need to pay attention to. Tanking will be the highest concern as it can finish your league before it even begins. What fun is it if you have six teams who are tanking and the other six are competing to win it all? Now to stop tanking from occurring, there are a few rules you can add that should eliminate it or decrease it at least. My favorite one is to create some kind of cost to landing in second last or last place in your league. So, for example, in my league, last place pays extra $75, while second last place pays $50 into the pot, which is later used for the champion's jersey. If you create competition in the bottom of the league, it will force teams to insert their lineup on a daily basis, as well as make fair trades on the behalf of their team. So far, this rule has been golden for me, and I've only had one person give up in the past four years, which isn't that bad. Another way of stopping tanking is to ensure there is no lopsided trades, or where a GM is planning on leaving and will trade with his buddy. Okay, what I normally do is I have a rule book that I make everybody sign in the beginning of the year. We add further rules each offseason if I feel like somebody is trying to find a loophole. Add some kind of penalty for, some, for any shady trades or attempts. You have to be non-biased and your priority should be to keep the integrity of the league intact. Separate the GM and the commissioner in you to accomplish that. The day the GM part of you overshadows the commissioner part, people will see it, fight, and eventually leave. Have a rule where you can have your keepers players for X amount of years before they are sent back to the draft. Imagine drafting McDavid when he was 18 and holding him his entire career. That is literally a cheat code. Think about the state your league is in and the people you have. 
are you committed five plus years or do you have a higher turnover of GMs between one to four years? If you got a good group of guys, I would say three to five years is perfect. For a new league where GMs are trying to figure it out, I would say go between two to three years. Can increase it when the league is ready. Let's talk about the number of players you can hold from the previous years. I would say personally go between 20 to 30% of your roster number. This will ensure the league stays competitive on a yearly basis. Add value to drop players. Any players that got dropped will go through an auction where a team can bid via their draft pick. Imagine your fantasy league is like the real NHL. Try keeping the rules as close to the actual thing as possible. Now let's move on to the yearly redraft leagues. I usually go for the yearly leagues where, where I could use the previous year standings and have a lottery draft order two weeks before the draft day. We usually do it on a website, which is live streamed with other GMs in the league. Draft pick trades are allowed before draft day just to create more of a buzz in the league. In a yearly league, it is easier to replace non-existing GMs or people who don't want to be there anymore. Same thing as Keepers League, last place, second last place to pay an extra amount so that people don't lose interest on being on the bottom of the league. The rule has worked. And honestly, instead of having four teams not interested in February, I usually have one rarely. Nobody wants to throw in extra cash and on top of that being mocked at for the rest of the year. With a yearly league, the reset helps everybody be on the same playing field. Rivalries from previous years will help build up and make the league even more competitive. So that wraps up the type of leagues and let's move on to the type of scoring leagues you want. Now, are you planning on creating a rotisserie, season points, or head-to-head style match? For me personally, I like the head-to-head point style instead of the head-to-head categories. My league has tried the season point style in ESPN for the first nine years. There are some advantages and disadvantages to this type of league. The advantage is that the true number one team with the most points will win the league without very minimal controversy, but mostly by mid-season. The advantage is that the true number one team with the most points will win the league with very minimal controversy. But the disadvantage is mostly by the middle of the season, only three or four teams are competing while the rest have either given up or the interest fades away. To keep everybody engaged, I believe having head-to-head points will solve that issue. A lot of trash talk and banter is good for the league when you have different teams facing each other on a weekly basis. We have been using this style in Yahoo for the past four years and has revived the people's interest. Yes, the champ may win by luck, but this style will keep people on the edge of their seats. We can talk about head-to-head categories now. I feel like this style is for people who are more of a beginner in the fantasy hockey world as the rules are much more simpler. Your teams will be balanced with different types of players instead of the most skilled players. A guy like Gudis may be more valuable in head-to-head categories over head-to-head points league. It all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. But from all the styles, I feel like head-to-head points will provide the higher thrill. With categories, it is straightforward as a skill is already built for you. Now now for point-based system, you need to create a skill for goals, assists, hits, etc., I have seen all types of leagues where goals and assists are weighed differently or the goal is 10 points, the assist is 4. Remember this, if you tip the skills on one category over the other, people will notice and they will draft accordingly. Everybody will chase the goal scorers and that's no fun. You want a league that has unlimited types of strategies. You can go with a heavy defensive style where people focus on high point producers on the back end or have a killer winger setup. That strategy should be endless, just like real life. Can a high-scoring Oilers win the cup or the defensive-minded New York Islanders have a better chance? I mean, 
Look at how the Oilers look right now. I don't know if that works. Who knows the future? So after countless years of tweaking my league, here's how I have set up my points. A goal is one point just like how it is recorded in real life. An assist is also one. Penalty minutes is minus 0.25 per minute. I know some people like having the penalty minutes as a positive, but how can you reward players for going into a box and leaving their team shorthanded? We also give 0.5 for a power play point. I know you must be wondering, well, 0.5, I mean, that's not how it works in the NHL. But I mean, we have to find a way of rewarding a power play somehow, and this is the best way I've found. Shorthanded points is an extra one because it is pretty difficult. Game-winning goal is 0.5. Shots on goal, hits, and blocks are all 0.1. The 0.1 is the most realistic number you can choose if you start calculating everything in percentages. Face-off wins is 0.1. Face-off loss is minus 0.1. The face-offs will round off to the actual face-off percentage in the end. Now for goalie points. This is much more of a gray area. Even till this day, there are a lot of people that are complaining in my league as well. We go back and forth every year and we stick to what we have. Either you could eliminate all, any type of negative points, which in my honest opinion, does not have the same, same nail-biting effect for a GM to play a goalie on a Sunday night knowing that he may or may not have made a mistake. Also, by eliminating negative points, goalies will be weight, weighed much higher than players, which can also be a problem. So here is how my goalie points work. 3 points for a win, minus 1.5 for a loss, minus 1 for a goals against, 0.1 for a save, and 3 points for a shutout. Now the goals against and saves will balance out and provide the actual save percentage. So I think that's a good balance. The 3 points shutout can be altered based on how you value goalies. But in my league, a fringe goalie who has allowed 4 goals on 20 shots and a loss will end up being about four, minus 4.1. So you can understand a goalie can make or break you. It's not an easy plug and play in my league. You have to actually really consider the goalie, who they're playing against, are they home, are they away, who's in the lineup. People really get themselves in the numbers with this type of strategy. But if you don't like this much chaos, maybe it's best to remove the minus 1.5 loss to maybe a zero. All right, let's talk about the roster size. For me, I always go with 21. 21 is usually the roster size that a team would carry, so I'm going to go with that. Yes, the waiver wire does get thinned out, but then you really need to look hard for the diamond in the rough. The active slot in my league is two centers, four wingers, four defensemen, and one goalie. We used to have left wing and right wing, but Yahoo and ESPN doesn't really update their positions enough, and it does make it more difficult to trade with people when a certain position is weaker than the other. So in this style... You can think of two full lines being active every night. Having more active goalies positions will tip the scale towards the goalies when drafting and collecting points. Trust me, we've tried this and realized you need more of a balanced approach. Having one active goalie is perfect. Even getting a utility spot may benefit the centerman. For example, if you have three dominating centers who could win faceoffs, you could easily dominate the league. Balance is key. Have all the GMs figure out what style works. In our league, I have seen different style GMs win. One year it was heavy defense, the other year it was heavy goalies, and last year it was a very well-balanced team. The mystery is what drives people nuts. They may hate it, but they'll also love it. Last thing I would like to talk about is a scenario I came across two years ago, when I realized teams on the top started trading for players with amazing playoff schedules. They knew they were going to make the playoffs and tried to use that to their advantage. To stop this, I didn't provide the playoff schedule until the trade deadline was over. 
So I did a live playoff schedule roulette between week 21, 22, 23, week 22, 23, 24, and week 23, 24, and 25 on a website. This way, everybody was on the same playing field and you can't, get, and you can't really cut corners. We'll continue talking about fantasy hockey every week and how to help you succeed by either creating a better league for yourself or just to provide more insight into the hockey world. It was a pleasure helping you out and I hope I did not miss anything. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, thehockeypuckcast at gmail.com. Okay, that wraps up the show this week. See you later.